Hello and happy Wednesday, everyone. Hi, Lisa from Connecticut. Always good to have you on. Um, okay, what are we talking about today? Sound mind. We're, we're still talking about a sound mind, but in context of making space. And, and I think that this is going to be a huge thing for us in the coming days is, is being able to make space for those who don't look the part, right? And back in the fall, I think it was, we had released a word about um, God bringing forth the Davids. And, and these are the, the least of these, right? They're the ones that have been overlooked. They're the ones, you know, laboring in the, the backfields and hanging out with the sheeple. And, you know, they're just blending in. There's nothing seemingly significant about them. And yet God is putting us on notice. And they have yet to show up, you know, like there has not been like this significant thing where, you know, all of a sudden these Davids are coming out of the the, the cracks. And, um, and so I feel like God put us on notice many months in advance for us to like really be able to make space and host them rightly. And um, because I, I know that they are going to be the people, you know, it reminds me of the movie Jesus Revolution, actually. And if you haven't seen it, go see it because this is this is that on display where you have this ragtag group of people coming into this fella's local church. They don't, you know, they're not wearing shoes. They're dirty. They probably smell, you know, <laughs> they, they, they look like the, the, the culture of the world and, and they are being rejected by the, the congregants of this church. And they are the Davids, right? They are these people that God is raising up and, and as like fresh wind um, to to be released, honestly, on, on the new thing that, that God is, is doing. And so I'm afraid that those of us that have been churched and that are so prim and proper will want to reject them, you know, knee-jerk rejection of like, ah, you don't look the parts. So bye-bye. And, and, and we're going to do it innocently. It's just, you know, we, we have, we leave with judgment and, and it's not a, a judgment that comes from the vein of holy justice. It, it comes from, oh, you don't look like me. Right. And, and so I, I want us to, to be open to what it is that, that God is going to do. These are the people that, that we pray for, right? These are the people that, that, that we long for to see. And I can remember, I can remember way back in the youth group days and, and John and I have been leading youth groups since we were 20. And, um, I remember being so touched by being with these these young people who I was probably only a few years older than some of them, and um, but just this yearning inside of me to see a, a youth on fire, a youth you know turned toward Jesus and their affections just overflowing towards Jesus. And, and that, you know, it's waned a little bit in the, the last few years. I forgot about it, but um, that's always been like the, the cry of my heart is to see um, a, a massive youth movement and um, just those people that are burning with the passion of, of the Lord. And so anyway, that's what we're talking about this morning is we need a sound mind to be able to make space for those who God 
has called his anointed, right? Because that's what we're talking about when we're talking about David. And can we rightly regard the anointing of the Lord despite the appearance of the individual? Someone take it away. <laughs> I, I love the the rightly regarding um, the, the Lord. This is this has been a big topic that we've been like really pressing on along with this sound mind is uh, the fear of the Lord, beginning of all wisdom, right? And so we, we have to be rightly regarding him. We have to be uh, rightly regarding uh, who he is, what he's doing. Uh, we have to rightly be regarding uh, the people around us and who he says they are too. Yeah. And and not missing what's going on. And and that, that right regard, it's going to be a place where um, if we find ourselves getting off track or we need to get uh, uh, back into that sound mind and, and back focusing on Jesus. That's where it's going to start. Yeah. The Lord is where it's going to start that right regard, uh, for who he is, uh, the right regard for how he's showing up in our lives right now and, and who it is that he's bringing into our lives and, and not missing that mm-hmm. we can't, we can't miss, uh, the, the people that we're coming across just because we're, we're on assignment, we're on mission. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and we see this in, you know, the, the end, in, in Saul's end, you know, in in First Samuel uh, um, chapter 31, I think, is where, you know, Saul dies. And even in the end, David so fiercely regards the one that the Lord anointed. And guys, we are a far cry from that because we are slinging slander on on the regular. And and David refused to. He refused to smear the Lord's anointed. And my gosh, I mean, I I I'm so moved. I'm so pierced, honestly, by by this story where you know even in Saul's death. You know, Saul tries to take his own life and it doesn't work. And so he begs someone <laughs> to, to end it. And and David comes upon this person and he's like, you you did this, mm. you know, and, and I that think, well. yeah. And I think this guy is attempting to, you know, flex and and David's like, no, like death to you, because that was the Lord's anointed. And I'm not so sure that we're willing to, to fiercely protect the, the Lord's anointed and nor can we even spy it out when it's coming from a distance. And so we, this is, you know, I I know my mind is not sound enough. I, I do not have enough to the mind of Christ to be able to fiercely guard my brothers, you know, like this. I can, my gosh, we're talking about this. This is a manhunt. Saul was hunting David through his entire kingship, and David refused. He never faltered. He refused to turn his back on him. That's that's fierce loyalty. Pepper. You know, in, in order to rightly regard God, we firstly have to rightly regard people because he, he says, how can you love God who you can't see when you don't love your brother who with your natural eyes is right in front of you? Yeah. So that is part of regarding God. And as you were 
talking, my mind went back to a dream I had years ago. And in this dream, there was this old trailer house and it was in a, a, you know, a impoverished section of town. And this trailer house was really just a single family home, but whoever owned it, they were renting it out in little sections like this. So there were little slots for each family to live in. You could hardly turn around. And there was a young family living in one of the sections and they had a child. And in the dream, it was like they were coming out of that section and I was to go live in that section in their place. And it wasn't pleasant because it was dirty and and they looked so happy to be getting out of there. And and you could just see roads, you know, that people were supposed to live in. But when I woke up, you know how you're you half asleep to go to the bathroom and I'm sitting there and I'm just mulling over the dream. When suddenly I see back in the dream at the end of these rows is Jesus in his humanity. Mm. And he's got this long cloth on and he's leaning against the wall and he doesn't have any strength. And he looks like he's described when he's been tortured and, you know, taunted and beaten. And my heart was just, just torn. And while I was sitting there, I said, Oh my God, Jesus, why didn't you let me see you in the dream? Because if I saw you, I would have made a beeline down there to you. And he said, that's why I didn't let you see me. Because if you haven't done it to the least of these, you haven't done it to me. And so sometimes we feel very proud of our ministry to Jesus and the things that we do that we ascribe worth to him with our time and our money and our, but we overlook the Jesus in each other. So we don't rightly regard each other. Yeah. And so in order to uh, rightly regard him, we have to rightly regard each other. And I've got a passage of scripture I'd like to read because it fits right with these Davids, I believe, because I call it uh, the 11th hour people. But it's in Matthew 20, and uh, it begins at the first verse, and uh, it calls it the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And it says, this will help you understand the way heaven's kingdom operates. There once was a wealthy land owner who went out at daybreak to hire all the laborers he could find to work in his vineyard. After agreeing to pay them the standard day's wage, he put them to work. Then at nine o'clock, As he was passing through the town square, he found others standing around without work. He told them, come and work for my vineyard and I'll pay your fair wage. So off they went to join the others. He did the same thing at noon again at three, making the same arrangements as he did with the others, hoping to finish his harvest that day. He went to town square at five o'clock and he found more who were idle. So he said to them, why have you been here all day without work? Because no one hired us, they answered. So he said to them, then go and join my crew and work. And so they go on, they work with the others. Okay, and it's time to receive their pay. When those hired late in the day came to be paid, they were given a full day's wage. And when those who had been hired first came to be paid, they were convinced that they would receive more. But everyone was paid the standard wage. 
When they realized what had happened, they were offended and complained to the landowner saying, you're treating us unfairly. They've only worked for one hour while we've labored and sweated all day under the scorching sun. You made them equal to us to work for the standard wage. And he says, if I want to give those who only work for an hour equal pay, what does it matter to you? Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with what is mine? Why should my generosity make you jealous of them? Now you can understand what I meant when I said that the first will end up last and the last will end up first. So this is how God regards people. And it's going to be like that when these 11th hour Davids come in. They're going to get the equal pay. And how will we feel about that? But still, the, the master... He had a, he knew he had a responsibility to see that everyone was busy, had something to do, because he says uh, up here, he goes out and he sees him and he says, why are you standing around with nothing to do? And well, nobody's hired us. OK, I'll hire you. <laughs> so, you know, it, he knew his responsibility and the regard for people. Yeah. And, and and he was not respecter of persons. No know. kidding. What a oh, gosh! I, I love that so much. And and the thing is, is like we are probably surrounded by these people now. Yeah. And and we're just not we're not regarding them. We're not seeing yeah. rightly. And um, I was telling Vince yesterday that um, last week God was like, I, I I want you to to begin to train um, these people in the salon how to prophesy. And I was like, what, what? (laughs) I was like, so taken aback by that because I'm like, how? I mean, I have so many questions that are unanswered right now, but I'm holding it. I'm holding myself open to be like, surely, you know, the answers. Right. And, and like, I know that he wouldn't bring that up if he didn't have the way to, to move forward in that. And, um, my job then is is to not disregard them, but to regard them as vessels that prophecy can be poured through in, in a beautiful way, and, and because he is intentionally, you know, rearranging an entire industry, and he's doing it through a small little town in Junction City, Kansas, you know, and and here, I mean, can you imagine the impact? If if we can get people like this, I and mean, these are these are very richly pastoral people. Anybody who is a caretaker, you know, has that that pastoral gene just oozing out of them sometimes to their own demise. <laughs> but in the power of touch. So we're we're talking about people who have their hands on, and then they're also like equipped to speak life and to pull treasure from vessels and, and put it on display. This is it. It's just absolutely powerful to me to even consider. And, you know, all my questions aside, God clearly knows what he's doing. But I cannot, I can't afford to disregard these people or or even question like, God, like, do they need to be in relationship with you first before I can like, <laughs> train them to prophesy? If he's calling them, you know, those who can release his presence in that way, then I have to get on the same page with all of my religiosity aside. 
I mm-hmm. have to regard them the way that he is calling them. And, and this is something that we do not do well. This is like prophecy 101. If we can't do this well, if we cannot look at people and agree with the Lord, then we might as well hang it up because yeah. we have already failed miserably if mm-hmm. we can't change our mind. And here's the deal. The church, especially in our nation, has has taught us to cohabitat with the spirit of religion and the spirit, the, the political spirit that we are actually releasing death sentences mm-hmm. over people because we disagree with them. When God has another plan, he has an alternative route for these people. If we would actually listen to his voice rather than the fallen voice that is partnered with the political spirit. And this is like, like seriously, take this seriously because it's dangerous. I have heard some some prophecies go out that actually have our president dying. This is no different. This is really important because this is no different. God rests his authority on people for a reason. And it's just like Pilate. You know, when, when Pilate is questioning Jesus, here he is standing before him bloodied, right? And, and Pilate's quite, are you the king of the Jews? You know, and, and he's like, come on, you, you can feel his madness in the story. Like, Jesus, would you please just defend yourself kind of thing? And, and, and he refused to. And, and then Jesus just simply says, you only have the authority because my father in heaven has given it to you, right? Like you are only able to pass sentence on me because my father has given it to you. And so even Jesus knowing full well that Pilate has the authority to put him to death, he stares him down and says, you are God's anointed. Are we bold enough to do that it, it, in the face of death? No, no, we're not because we are terrorizing God's people and anybody who is human are God's people. They are his created ones. And our job as the church is to pull the beauty of the Lord from them mm-hmm. rather than put a hit on them prophetically. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that 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 the, the Saul David relationship. It's the same thing. We're, we're again we're talking about a manhunt here. Saul mm-hmm. wanted David dead. And David refused to tarnish his name. Jump in. The, the scripture we used to try to, to really kick off this whole conversation and everything we're talking about today is 1 Samuel 30. And that's where the Amalekites came in and uh, captured everything from David, wives, children, everything that they owned. Took it out of Ziklag, burned it down and took off. And and you can and look at all these themes that we were talking about and you can pull it out of this, this story in that chapter. And one of the big things that um, it, it says in there is God told David to pursue and that he would overtake the Amalekites and rescue all. And, and I think uh, what we're talking about here in not overlooking the people and, and not missing uh, uh, who they are and who God says they are. And the fact that uh, yes, prophecy can flow through these people uh, who aren't necessarily following him because even in this story, David had people who were, were wicked in their hearts. And, yeah. and, and so understanding that, that when Jesus died on the cross, he was doing it to rescue all. Just like God was telling David, he would rescue all here when he pursued and overtook the Amalekites. Uh, there, there was, there was uh, um, an expectancy that everything would be recovered. And, and, and if we're really going to to 
go after these people. We have to understand that Jesus did that for all. Yeah. And we cannot disqualify people based on what we, we see with our natural eyes. It's so very important to be, to be uh, uh, seen from our place of victory, from our co-seated place first, regardless of what we see in the natural. If you aren't asking God first, who is it that you say this person is? How do you see them? Open my eyes to see them in that same manner. And then start calling that forth out of them. We're going to miss it. We're going to be, we're, you know, we may be uh, in pursuit and uh, uh, going after what's been taken from us. Um, but we can't allow that pursuit to, to cause us to miss the people. Right. Yeah. It's so good. Pepper, jump in. Well, and then you bring out the point that these are wicked people with him. These, these aren't all, you know, gushy gushy, you know, some friendly fire. They're not ultra boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and I think as sometimes as believers, we are less aware of heaven's protocol than those who aren't. You're right. Because Angie, you talked about how the president is being maligned and literally dying because of word curses and things being released against him, which is just straight up. If I can use the term Christian witchcraft. Yeah, you're right. You know, mm -hmm. but, but we look at the story in Daniel when uh, the archangels, Michael and uh, Gabriel are trying, you know, cause Daniel's been 21 days and they're trying to get that prayer through and they encounter the Prince of Persia. But they, even the archangels in the realm of the spirit, they understand protocol and they took their warfare in the spirit, realizing that there's a rank. There's a rank among the second heaven. There's a rank in the third heaven. And they wouldn't even bring an accusation against Satan. <laughs> they had enough protocol, you know, because, wow, I mean, come on. When will we understand protocol? We don't have to be in agreement with that person. Right. Mm -hmm. Their policies, their administration, their lifestyle, anything. But God said it would be better if you just took a stone, hung it around your neck, and jumped in the lake than to offend my little ones. And I don't know who all his little ones are, but I don't want to try to figure that out later. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and the thing is, is like he's in that moment, he's he's opened himself to the children, right? And it's the disciples that are trying to protect Jesus. From the <laughs> Jesus is just wanting to kiss the babies, and uh, but I think that we can we can look at that story with a, a little bit of a, a prophetic mindset and realize that who he regards as as little or as immature as children in Scripture are the ones who don't know yet, that mm -hmm. don't know. And, mm -hmm. and, and that is, uh, you know, not to, to sling the president's name around, but perhaps that's the Biden, Bidens of the world, right? It's like, he just doesn't know. And why are we faulting him? Because he's never been introduced to the, the majesty of Jesus's lordship. Right. Like, how is that his fault? Because the church is not doing its job and mm -hmm. we are the gates for crying out loud. Anything that enters into the world has come through the gates of the Ecclesia because wow. that is the job. And if there is 
If there is slander coming against the president, it's because we have not stood our ground. And I love the concept of the gates because you see all throughout the Old Testament, the the um, prominence of being the one who sits at the gate. I love the story of Deborah because it has her as a gatekeeper. She's the one that sits at the city gates. And that is a high calling to be those who sit at the gates. And that's us. That's the ecclesia. And we're not doing our job. Our, our gates are slimy and gross because of what we've allowed through. We want to know like what, why all of a sudden is cancer on the rise? Probably because the church is celebrating Cancer Awareness Month <laughs> every other month. You know, it's like, what are we doing? We have to stop and, and you know, not to jump on a, another social um, agenda, but the, the church is now, especially our, our, our Western culture, is we, we are riddled with homosexuality. Because we have opened the gates to it. We have not stood and said, you know what? You are loved. And this is pain. This is trauma. Let's get to the root of it. We have got to begin to be those who stop the forces of evil at the gates and say, "Huh, -uh. you humanity can come through. You little one can come through because Jesus is fond of you. But the, the, the demon behind that thing has got to stay. No entrance. And, and we just haven't done a good job at it. Plain and simple. I, this is not doom and gloom because we have opportunity here. There is yeah. great opportunity here for us to rise up. And if you're not feeling that right now, if you're not feeling this rising up in your posture as I got a little bit straighter in the middle of this conversation, just renounce the shame, right? Like if you've partnered with this, just renounce the shame really quick and straighten up your posture, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's that simple. Return, <laughs> return to, to the calling of the Lord on your life. And, and, you know, we would be amiss if we didn't like jump over to Joel and discuss what's happening there. I, I love this. I love this. Love this. Let's, let's just look at it. I'll read it to you. Story time. Um, in uh, where do we want to start? Let's start in two. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and dark, deep darkness, like the dawn spread over the mountains, a people great and mighty. Ugh. There has not been any like them since eternity. <laughs> and there will not be any more after them, even until the years of the generation of the generations. A fire devours before them, and after them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, after them like a desolate wilderness, and indeed no one escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so they run. Like the sound of chariots upon the mountaintops they leap, like the sound of a flame of fire that devours the stubble, like a mighty people set in battle array. At their presence the people, the peoples writhed in anguish, all faces became pale. They run like mighty men, like men of battle. They climb the wall and they march each in his ways and do not break their ranks, nor do they crowd each other. They march each on his highway. Though they fall among weapons, they do not break off their progress. I love this. In other translations, it says they will not jostle for position. 
These are the people who know who they are in the Lord. They know what the call is and they don't cherry pick from the one beside them. They don't attempt to put on their armor. I love, it's like the the story of David when he's going to defeat Goliath, right? And, And Saul's like, here, wear my armor. And and he puts it on, like he obliges him. He's like, this is not comfortable, right? And that's how we should feel when we're attempting to pull armor for one another from the person to each side of us and, and put on their garments. That should feel awkward. It should feel like, oh, this, I can't really move right in this because we have our own. We have our own garments. We have our own giftings. We have our own anointings. Does that affect the people on each side of us? A hundred percent. But we cannot cherry pick because we're jealous because theirs is working and we're being weak. Can I just say like <laughs> all of that in that story? The the, the biggest thing I'm, I'm thinking about is is those people that that you're, you're just reading about out of Joel absolutely refuse to compromise. If they are going to be the gates and they are going to stand there in their own strength, they are not going to compromise the integrity of themselves. They're not going to compromise the integrity of the gate so that it cannot withstand the things that need to be uh, uh, held back and and be able to (laughs) open to let the things that need to come through through. Yes. And and tolerating even uh, uh, one of the demons to be allowed to come in with the little ones is compromise. Right. And, and you're, you're just, you're weakening your own gate. You're, you're weakening uh, uh, yourself and the rest of the body by doing that. Yeah. And if, if you are, are in compromise, you're not going to, to be one of these people that's being uh, uh, talked about there that you just described. Those people are, are going to be like David, the, the extreme links that they will go to, to stay in line with where the spirit of God is leading them. It is going to be uh, extremely uncomfortable for, for the the people that don't like freedom that refuse to accept the responsibility that comes with freedom and instead are resisting their rescuer, resisting Jesus and and wanting to uh, drape themselves in chains and say, Oh, no, I'm good right here. Even though they're not doing anything, there's still freedom there. The reality is still freedom. Yeah. Regardless of of what you want to, to put on in your, your mind as, as bondage, uh, your reality is freedom. If you choose to, to step into it, if you uh, want to step out of compromise and and into that responsibility, but it it is responsible. You do have to take responsibility because you, in, in that, I, I know why people want to drape the chains over it. We've talked about it before. They want to be able to have that scapegoat. They want to be able to point outside of themselves and say, if this doesn't work out, it's your fault. Yep. Not, rather than saying, nope, I'm free. This is where Holy Spirit is leading me. I'm accepting that call. I'm stepping out into that. If something happens, that's my responsibility. Holy Spirit, how do I learn from this? Grow right. and move forward. Yeah, no, that's so good. Stick landing into that next level of glory, right? Stick landing, yes. And so much of that, you know, and and I know that we love talking about roles and responsibility, but um, so much of that is throwing off the the spirit of the damsel in distress. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like we have become addicted to our problems, and 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 this is this is our greatest hurdle is we want to be able to have that thing that that we can point to and say, well, that's why. 
right? Or the other thing that we do is we want to pin the blame on God. Well, God said to do this. And so when it doesn't, when it doesn't like carry out the way that we thought that it was going to, we're like, oh, that's God's fault. We don't want to be responsible for the decision. And so this is why we are overfed prophetically. We are fat prophetically because we're just gathering a whole lot of prophecy and and never doing anything about it because we refuse to take responsibility in the things that God has called us to. And so often we're going like, okay, God, like tell me the next thing to do. And I'm not mocking prayer. We do need to do that. But there also comes a time when God's like, make a decision, make a decision. It's, it's actually ours to make a decision into. He, he has graced us with the ability to be decisive. Otherwise, we are those stuck in the valley of indecision and we can't get out because we have put on the chains of heaviness. You know, there, there is a spirit of heaviness that is affecting the church greatly and it's by our own doing because we're infatuated by it. We love to be stuck because we don't we don't actually want freedom. And, you know, something that God said to me years ago was that freedom is the scariest thing you will ever pursue. And he's not wrong, right? Like there's, there is no safety net. Once you're out there, it's like free falling. And, and the thing is, is that again, we can look to David's life and see that, you know, and I think that we talked about this last Friday, but even, even in David's last sin, you know, where he takes a census and God's like, what are you doing? And, and he comes with him, he comes at him with the consequences and there's three different consequences for him to choose from. And, and David's like, uh, if I'm going to fall into the hands of somebody, let me fall into the hands of the Lord because I know his grace. I know his mercy. And can the same be said of us? Are we risk takers to that level where we're, we're risking even possibly messing it up? You know, did David know that he was messing up? Probably. He probably had an unction somewhere within himself, like I shouldn't be doing this, but he did it anyway. And, and, and we see the mess up David has uh, throughout. And I think Ben said it best yesterday. This is why he's known as a man after God's own heart is because he knew he could fall on the Lord and he would be safe there. And, and this like has become kind of a, a cry in my heart where I can't, I can't move around it right now. Am I willing to turn and face Jesus no matter what, no matter what is the, the, the cry of my heart going to be? No, let me fall in the hands of the Lord. Do I know full well that I am safer in the hands of the Lord than any other consequence? And we need to know that we know, right? That that, that is going to be our decision when the, the, the fire is turned up because there is going to come a time. When we are faced with severe consequences, and, and maybe it's not because we've done something wrong, but because of who we represent, are we going to be those who say, no matter what, I want to fall into the hands of the Lord? And we see the disciples doing this in the early church. You know, they, they get thrown into prison. They're being beaten, stoned, killed, and, and, and they're still pushing the issue. I mean, they're always pushing, pushing, pushing because they know better to fall into the hands of the Lord than to compromise, right? Jump in, Pepper. You know, Vince, you were talking about that weakening at the gate. And, you know, we know that our victory is our brother's victory, you know. And we see that in in this passage in, in Samuel, 
and I'll read just a little bit of it for context. But uh, at about 1 Samuel 30, 21, David came to the 200 men who were so exhausted that they could not follow him and had been left at the brook with the provisions. They went out to meet David and the people with him. And when he approached the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men among those who went with David said, because they did not go with us. And by the way, speaking of that fire, David probably didn't even know how many wicked and worthless men he had with him till the fire came out. Then when the fire came out, it started bringing up the dross and they were ready to stone David then, you know, but now, now that all the spoils are coming back, there's like this entitlement, you know, and, and they said, because you didn't go with us, you, you all, only thing you're getting are your wives and children. You're not getting anything else. And David said, you must not do so, my brothers. And what the Lord has given us, he has kept us safe and has handed us over. Uh, uh, excuse me. And who will listen to you in regard to this matter for as is the share of him who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the provisions and supplies, you know, the 11th hour people, they shall share alike. And God was so serious. David was so serious about this. He made an ordinance about this. Yeah. It says, so from that day forward, he made a statute and an ordinance. He made a law of this for Israel to this day. And so, we see how serious God is about this, but at the same time, you know, there has to be an action on our part because when we look at the parable of the talents, they didn't have to work for the talents. The talents were just given to them, but then the responsibility shifts from us as being our brother's keeper and making sure that, and when I'm talking about making sure our brother has something in their hand, I'm not just talking about, like you say, Angie, just sharing some eggs. You know, we we want to equip them, make sure they have the tools and encouragement to steward their mind. Mm -hmm. And so it is our responsibility as people and as leaders to make sure that people have something in their hand. But once you're given the talents and, and you don't do what you're supposed to do with the talents, then we see that the master said, you're wicked because you, you didn't, you didn't stir at the talent. Right. And right. so, you know, David was their leader and that's why we're called leaders because we lead and, and, and people are supposed to follow you into that. But he was, he was their leader. He was not their savior. And so if the concept is that each one is to have something in their hands, we need to stop walking into any space, quit going into church and expecting someone else to shift the atmosphere. Now they may lead the way, but you have to follow them in the shift. Yeah. Quit walking into any space. If all you can do is pray in tongues, pray in tongues, but each one in a, in a space of oneness should have something in their hand. We shouldn't be just standing there waiting for someone else to do the sermon, to shift the atmosphere, to enlighten us. It, it, it should be a oneness thing. Now, we're all glory carriers, and I know we all carry that glory and demonstrate it in a different way. But if we're all glory carriers, your glory should be connected to my glory and my glory to your glory so that we just have a combustion of glory mm. to yes. give up to Jesus, you yeah. know. 
for sure. Yeah. And, and I love what you're talking about, you know, at the beginning there is like, you know, what, what is revealed in these people. And I shared this with you guys the other day, but they're coming out of Ziklag and Ziklag literally means to press mentally to reveal what is inside of a person. Ooh. And, and, and that's so intense. It's like, and we know the story that, that David gets stuck somewhat in Ziklag and he's being pressed. And, and I know that that's where most of us have found ourselves is in this pressing place. And, you know, God was revealing last fall that we aren't just in a wine press, but we're, we're in a wine press in on a threshing floor, right? <laughs> and it's like that, that Gideon picture where he's hidden away in, in a wine press and that's where he's doing his threshing. And that's where we've been, you know, he is pressing and he is threshing at the same time. And, and that's what Ziklag was for them. Like there, what is inside is being revealed in these people in each of them. And, and we find on the back side of that, that some can't make it very far and others are wicked and evil, right? And and what's revealed in David is honor and generosity. Yeah. And I love it that you know he 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 creates something that's going to, to, it's like a vast measure that's going to cover Israel, right? It's not just for that moment and for that people. He's like, no, everybody. He he's displaying the kingdom here, or you say everybody gets part in this. I, I know we, we all love that everybody gets to play concept, but what, what about everybody gets to plunder, right? Like no matter what we, we come up against um, opposition and, and there's opportunity to plunder in that. And, and no matter what the people all around you are doing, how they're participating, the kingdom says everybody gets part in that plundering and where we get super frustrated. Let me bring this down to a, a concept that we can understand outside of the grandiose spiritual concepts, but it's like, we get mad because we feel like the lone rangers and we're the only ones pushing and the people aren't doing their, you know, their job and, and it's frustrating and it creates tension. And the truth is the kingdom they get theirs, you know, like they get, to, they get to plunder also. And, and that goes against the American dream big mm-hmm. time. I mean, it's like, you know, dog eat dog around here and, and that's not the kingdom. And so there is going to be a really great collision that we see where, you know, one's got to give way and it better be the kingdom, you know, mm-hmm. not the kid, it not, we want the kingdom to overpower the, right. the world yeah. and right. And it will, it will, but it, it takes people who are willing to steward the kingdom well to see that happen. And, and that's exciting for me. I mean, it, it, despite all the frustration and the, the being like, oh, oh Lord, when kind of thing. And, and, and where are your people? Where are the mothers? Where are the fathers? You know, all of my questions. Um, <laughs> he's just like, you know what? It's coming, right? Like mm-hmm. hold tight, hold fast because it's coming. We just have to be those who, you know, when we've done all we can do to stand, we stand. Yeah. Pepper, you were talking about people taking action and and there is an action to take. Even those that stayed behind, it said they stayed behind with the baggage. Well, that doesn't mean they were just hanging out, lounging around. You know, they were still on assignment to protect what was left behind. So even those that we don't uh, uh, see doing anything or, or, or think that, they're not doing as well. They're still on assignment. They still have an assignment to do whatever that is. 
um, and even the ones uh, you talk about coming in late, the 11th hour ones uh, from the story you read earlier, who got hired late in the day, they still had an assignment to do. Mm -hmm. They still fulfilled that assignment. They still got their full wage. Mm -hmm. uh, and those that have been working longer were offended by it. But, yeah. but you know, that's that's between them and God to, to, to deal with that. And we just have to know that, uh, you know, like you said, Angie, everybody gets to play and and everybody's going to get their share and and that's just the way the kingdom works and deal with it and i i don't know what more to say about that it's it's gonna be um for some it's gonna be frustrating but you know the moment you can shift in your mind to celebration then what you've been given becomes so much more glorious and and so much more um shiny for lack of a better word you know yeah. it, it it has a, a a better shine to it and so i, I just I, I love that that you're you're bringing these stories out and, and being able to showcase them and and how this story from uh from david really plays into that and um it's just a great story it is a great story there's so much to be able to pull out of it yeah. so very much because you know uh uh in just looking at this, uh, you can see how David wasn't missing people and how we can apply that to what God's telling us now. Yeah. You know, even in the action that you're taking, you can't be in such uh, pursuit of, of that call that you miss the people. Yeah. Yeah. What a guy. My gosh. David is is like one of a kind. And the thing is, is like he he's a foreshadowing of Jesus, right? We we know that 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 he is putting Jesus on display and and like he's actually a foreshadowing of us. This is this is what we have the ability to do. It's already been carved out for us. It's not like we're pioneering this kingship, this royalty, this way of honoring. It's been carved out, it's been pioneered. The the, the trail is blazed. We just have to step into it. We can walk in that level of honor and in that level of regard of anointing. And we just need to do it. We need to put it on. We need to be ever aware of the crown on our head. You know, we, I made a big deal about um, last week's uh, British Isles Council of Prophets or whatever it's called. They're broadcast about, about royalty, about crowns and and how, you know, David's crown would have weighed around 70 pounds. It's like, we need to feel the weight of the crown on our head at all times. We, I want to, I want to feel the weight of that honor that, that needs to be released for those who God is calling anointed. And um, it, we don't, we don't rightly regard it. And, and I want us to, and it's going to take a sound mind. Yeah. And that's what that crown is, is. It's sitting upon, you know, the mind, right? And and we have full capacity to walk in humble, holy purity in our thought life. And one caveat I'd put with all of this, what we're talking about is uh, being our brother's keeper and mm -hmm. the 11th hour people coming in. I, I think I alluded to this a couple of weeks ago, but one thing is interesting of all that we can do, our responsibility to make sure each one has something in their hand, you know, because each one needs seed, you know, each one has, 
and in its most literal way. Sometimes when Virginia and I go to church, if one of us doesn't have any money, well, here, here's some money for you. you know? <laughs> okay, I'll go pay it all for you. <laughs> it became my money because she gave it to me. So, <laughs> you know, so we do have that responsibility to make sure each one has something in their in their hand. But I find it interesting. One thing we cannot do, we might be able to benefit benefit from each other's oil, but each one has to get his own oil. That's one thing you see in the New Testament that's not shared, you know, because coming by, you know, without money, you have to stay in the battle. You have to stay in the fire. And if, you know, if you keep jumping in and out of the fire, you're going to have less oil than if you just stay in the battle. Right. And so, you know, if I've got half a tank, you know, and I've got a long way to go, I can't give you my gas. Right. <laughs> you know? So we all have that personal responsibility to make sure that we are being like gold tried in the fire and that we stay in the fire and that we stay on the potter's wheel. That's our personal responsibility in the battle and that we are all carrying something in the weight of the spirit. You yeah. know, God's got, God's got not going to make us responsible for carrying what we can, but right. what we can carry, we need to be, you know, mm-hmm. I can carry probably about 50 pounds. Events can probably carry about 200 pounds, you know, but if I don't carry my 50 pounds, then Vince has got to carry 250 pounds. Mm. And then if somebody else doesn't carry their 25, then Vince has got 275 pounds. And yeah. so we just wear our leaders out or we wear those out who take initiative. And so there, there has to be a balance in that being my brother's keeper and the brother's responsibility and the weight of the glory that yeah. they carry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so much of what we do is snuggle up to the oil, you know, to, to the <laughs> yeah. oil carrier and convince ourselves that it's our own. And it's mm-hmm. just not true. I mean, you can go and read the story of the foolish <laughs> in your Bible, you know, that they're caught without oil, right? And therefore have no light and um, don't be one that's caught without oil. Moral of the story is. <laughs> That's why we got to stay away from this, this platform mentality Yes. of, of the it person. And, and we're just feeding off their oil. That's unsustainable for all. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well said. And with that, we're leaving. <laughs> that was kind of royal the way you did that. I've been practicing my royal way for some time now. I belong in parade. Anyway, (laughs) guys, thanks for joining us this morning and for jumping in on the comments. Love to see your comments. Love to see your names. Nora, good morning. Chris, good morning. And Virginia. I just always love when Virginia's name pops up. And and Lisa, did we say hello to Lisa? And, And John and his mother, I believe, are on or have been on. Anyway, guys, have a great Wednesday. We'll talk soon.